this hymn as an appropriate lead-in to the sermon because it says his oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way he then is my hope and stay on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand this morning's sermon is entitled The Ark we will be looking at Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, through chapter 8, verse 22. This is the account of the flood. We will not be able to read this entire passage. So I'm going to begin with verse 9 of Genesis 6, continue through verse 22, and then we'll look at other passages as we move through um, through the sermon. Please give your attention to God's Word. Genesis 6, beginning with verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth. And behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth was filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth. 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side make it make it with a lower second and third decks for behold I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven everything that is on earth shall die but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall not I'm sorry, you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of everything of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve for you. Uh, it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. We not only uh, submit our wills to it, we submit our minds to it. And we ask God that you would uh, teach us by your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible teaches that there was a worldwide flood that destroyed all mankind. And all land animals, ex uh, except those that were aboard the ark, uh, were destroyed. I do not believe that this was an allegory. I do not believe this is a fable. 
I don't believe this is, that this is an adaptation from, uh, from another Near Eastern story. I believe the biblical account of the flood was an actual historical event. And I'm standing in good company. Our Lord Jesus believed these were actually historical events. We read Luke 17 as our responsive reading. There Jesus spoke of Noah as a historical person and the flood as a historical event. The writer of the book of Hebrews believed that the flood and the ark were actual events. The Apostle Peter spoke of Noah and the ark as actual events in both of his letters. In other words, to question the, the factuality of the flood is to question the validity of the Bible. And then where, we, where are we left? Uh, let's begin uh, this morning by looking at the pre-flood earth. Now we know from uh, this passage that the earth had become filled with violence. In fact, we saw in a previous sermon that rape and murder were commonplace uh, in the time between the flood, um, between the fall and the flood. You know, here these days we speak of Chicago and Washington D.C. as being very violent cities, but in comparison with other places in the world, Chicago and, and Washington D.C. are um, are actually very safe. But there is no place in any part of the world today where violence uh, is as widespread as it was during these times between the fall and the flood. The earth, God says, had become corrupt. Violence was the chief trait, the chief um, character trait, the chief attribute of those who were living during that time. Now, that's not to say that there was no organized culture. Uh, they were not cavemen saying, oompa, oompa, glug, glug, uh, and beating each other about the head with clubs. My, my son and I were reading a, um, a child's history of the world, and um, that's where that oompa, oompa, glug, glug came from. Um, they were actually um, much more advanced culturally and technologically than we've been led to believe. Uh, the pre-flood era lasted over a thousand years. Um, that's a long time for culture to develop. And they were not starting as, as tabla rasas or blank slates. Uh, Adam and Eve were very intelligent beings, very intelligent human beings. Adam and Eve were able to communicate with each other. They were able to communicate with God. Um, I have no doubt that the pre-flood peoples had written languages. They may have had something like books or scrolls. Um, they were making scientific advancements. We read about that in uh, the second half of, of Genesis chapter 4. And they were certainly not living in caves for 1,000 years. Also, the population of the earth um, was certainly greater than we might assume. Uh, God told them to be fruitful and multiply. 
And it seems reasonable that they did that. Um, a thousand years they did that. It's certainly reasonable to um, surmise that there were probably millions of people uh, living on the earth. Maybe even billions living at that time. Uh, each generation, however, became more and more violent. More and more disconnected from God. Or as God says Himself in His evaluation of the world, the world had become corrupt. And it grieved God that He had made mankind. So what God did was He determined to send a flood to uh, wipe out the entire world, to wipe out mankind with it. However, He was unwilling to wash His hands of, of humanity completely. Noah found favor with the Lord. And so He told Noah to build an ark. And this ark that God told Noah to build would be incredibly big. Um, it was, in our terms, uh, the scholars tell us, over 450 feet long, um, according to a cubit. Now, they say that a cubit is the length of a man's from an elbow to the end of his hand. Um, and... Uh, so there's some estimation here, but 450 feet long is is big. To give you an idea of how big it was, the Queen Elizabeth, um, the largest ship that was um, that was sailing the seas for quite some time, was 1,000 feet in length. So the ark was about half half as long as the Queen Elizabeth. Uh, the ark was. Um, was was quite incredible, uh, not only by ancient times, but or but in any time, considering that it was uh, made entirely of wood. Um, there's never been a, a ship that uh, a wooden ship that has been um, built that was that long, unless you know. I think there's some people that are building replicas of the ark uh, these days. Uh, Noah spent um, nearly 120 years building the ark. And of course, he didn't do all the work himself. He couldn't have used just his sons. I'm sure he hired out um, people to help him build it. And it's striking that many of those who worked on the ark, excluding his sons, uh, did not get on it. Uh, the book of Hebrews says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And uh, we can certainly surmise that Noah went about during that 120 years preaching to people about the coming judgment. He preached, I'm sure, to those who were working on the boat, this, this ark uh, that you are helping me build, that I've hired you to build, is uh, necessary because God is going to send a flood on the earth to wipe out all mankind. And yet, none of those people who worked on it, excluding his sons, entered into the ark. 
They knew about the ark. They knew why it was there. The way of their salvation. They saw it. They touched it. They built it. And yet they missed out entirely. They heard about the impending flood. Yet they perished. I know of nothing that could be more tragic than for one of you to hear the Gospel week after week. To have it proclaimed to you. To have it in your hands in, in the Word of God. And for you to know about Jesus Christ as Savior and yet miss out on His salvation that He so freely offers to all who will believe. Well, finally, after the ark was completed, God told Noah and his family to make provisions for themselves and for the animals that they would bring along. And then they were to bring uh, with them a pair of every living thing. God, being God, uh, moved these pairs of animals to come to the ark. And uh, a male and female of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, of every uh, creeping thing that creeps along the ground. And once they were in the ark, God closed the door. A week later, God brought the flood. So then, how did God bring about the flood? There's this common assumption that uh, there was this band of thick moisture around the earth um, that encircled the earth. And this is assumed from Genesis 1-7 where God separated the waters from the waters. And this is said, because of this thick layer of moisture, this is said to account for the long life of the pre-flood peoples uh, and that God used this moisture to um, cause the rains for the flood. Uh, I do not think that this view is correct. In fact, I want to try and persuade you to think about the the cause of the flood uh, in a different way this morning. I want you to look at Genesis 7, verse 11. It says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. You see what's listed here in the order of events? It's not that the heavens were opened and the rain began, but rather what's listed first is that the, the, um, the great deep burst forth. Um, I remember being a small child. Uh, It may have even been before elementary school, but I even remember later in elementary school looking at a globe and I thought to myself, you know, it really looks to me like the earth used to be of one piece. North America and South America just seemed to fit hand in glove with Europe and Africa. And, um, and, I, and I always had that impression that they just fit together like pieces of a puzzle. And uh, now uh, scientists are saying that. In fact, they were saying that before, before uh, I was born. But um, 
but they are continuing to say that. Uh, in fact, you can look on Google Maps. In fact, I was real tempted to to have Google Maps up on the screen um, where you could see how the, the outlines of, the, of uh, North and South America compared with Europe and Africa. And also in Google Maps, they've mapped out the bottom of the ocean. And you can see from the North Pole right down the middle of the Atlantic Ocean almost to uh, Antarctica that there's a fault line, a very pronounced fault line that runs right down the middle of the ocean. And then... Um, on either side of this fault line, there's there's lines stretching out to the east and west, um, and this is new ocean floor that was created along this fault line. This fault line is called the Mid Atlantic uh, Mid Atlantic Ridge, and I knew I shouldn't have put this word in here. I'm going to try it anyway. The ocean floor was caused by the oh boy. It looks like Greek to me, and I can read Greek. Asthenosphere. <laughs> uh, um, if you don't know what that is, ask Lee Baird. He'll be glad to tell you. <laughs> in fact, I sat down with Lee this week, and he was very helpful in helping me think through some of this. But anyway, this, um, as it is, is um, right under the 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 uh, the crust of the earth and it comes up as lava uh, when the pl- the teutonic plates shifted and so uh, what I'm saying is that Christian scientists are saying that the flood occurred because these plates shifted dramatically and when it did it caused friction and all this um, this lava began coming up and it hit the cool waters and once it did that then steam rose um, and all along this fault line from the North Pole to the to the to um, Antarctica you remember this um, uh, volcano that happened here recently and it shut down all the air traffic uh, over Europe because of the well can you imagine? All this steam coming up simultaneously from the North Pole to the South Pole, essentially, rising up. All this steam being created and then encircling the globe. And this steam then would have uh, caused rain. But even before the rains, when when this tremendous cataclysmic earthquake happened, there would be a tsunami beyond anything we could imagine. You know, we've seen the tsunami that that hit Indonesia. Um, This was a tsunami that uh, would have have covered entire nations, um, would have swept over the world. In fact, um, this also would be the cause for many of the mountain ranges that we have uh, today. So, uh, and it would have caused not only mountain ranges, but canyons um, being formed uh, during this time. That's why we have phenomenon that secular science struggles to explain. We have whales that have been found 
uh, in the high, higher top, the Andes Mountain in Chile. Uh, I even found an article about it in the New York Times of all places. And their explanation is that um, it, it uh, moved up, it was embedded in the soil and, and moved up the mountain in time with the, plate, with the, the, uh, the Teutonic shifts uh, little bit by little bit over millions of years. Um, I believe that because of the worldwide flood, because of the, um, the uh, tsunamis that would be happening, that uh, this whale may have been killed in that and, and, um, and then the mountains formed, the Andes mountain formed and it was uh, just resting there on top of the mountain. Also, we have fossils of saltwater marine life scattered all over the interior of the United States, even up in mountains. Uh, we have rocks in the Grand Canyon that were formed so quickly. And again, I, I found pictures of this on the Internet where it's, it's, the rocks are, are bent or folded. Um, rocks don't bend. You know, they, they may wear away with erosion, they may crack, but they don't bend like these rocks um, had been bent or folded. Uh, we have fossils of dinosaurs that died right in the middle of a fight. We have, and again, you can find these things on the internet, um, one dinosaur is biting another and the other one's kicking the other and the one is standing upright fighting the other is on its on its side and you can tell they're right in the middle but right in the throes of a fight and all of a sudden they cease to exist they are frozen in time but they're not not frozen they are actually we're in the middle of the Gobi Desert and people say well you know a, a cliff a sand cliff must have collapsed in on them however you need Lots of water to be able to uh, to form a fossil. Uh, you have uh, these woolly mammoths, where uh, they died so suddenly and, and frozen. Somehow the climate changed so quickly that uh, they were basically frozen in time. The, the the meat on their bones, even though thousands of years old was good enough that the Eskimos were carving it off and eating it and the dogs were eating it. This, this the science, secular science wants to say that the changes, the, the, the geology and the things that we see we can't explain took place slowly, gradually, over millions and millions of years in time. Um, the Bible says that there was this cataclysmic event um, that uh, that happened. The Bible accounts for all this. The Bible accounts for this strata of two different types of rocks that runs all the way along the uh, the Grand Canyon. The scientists tell us there's 10 million years of of, um, of history missing there between the rock strata. And uh, as a Christian, I would say. Well, I think we could um, we could attribute that to the flood. There's uh, soil samples and rock samples where they have been able to determine that the um, the older rock samples and soil soil layers are actually on top of the younger soil samples. They've been folded over each other. 
um, because of the the earthquake and tsunami, resulting tsunami that uh, happened during this tremendous um, world altering event that triggered the flood. Uh, and I'm only scratching the surface here. Um, we could say uh, quite a bit more, but this I believe the flood. I believe the flood happened when the continent split and all the things that uh, resulted from this. I don't believe that it happened by hap- that was happenstance. I believe that God caused these things to happen. Uh, you can do some study of your own at. Uh, for for uh, um, for me with my small um, scientific brain uh, barely existent, I, I was able to go to AnswersInGenesis.com and find uh, a lot of this. And like I said, Lee Baird was was helpful. I'm sure he could answer a lot of questions you have. So this is the flood. Well, then what happened after the flood? Well, God, God's attention here in, in, in the flood was really on this one family floating around in the ark. God was faithful to them. He brought them safely through the flood. Genesis chapter 8 tells us about God's faithfulness. In fact, if you look at Genesis 8, verses 18 through 22, It says, And so Noah went out, this is after the waters had receded, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Um, For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. God is a faithful God. He brought Noah. He brought Noah's family. He brought um, these animals through the flood. God is faithful to His Word. This account of the flood is not intended to teach us about geology. It's not intended to teach us about world history. The main things that God wants us to see here in this passage is God's hatred of sin. His holiness, His justice, and how He must punish sin. This passage here, like no other passage, teaches us about the fury of God's wrath. We don't like talking about God's wrath in this day and age. We like talking about God's love. that He's love, love, love all the time, time, time. The Bible also says that God is a just God, a holy God, a God who is indignant at sin. If you want to know how much God hates sin, He sent His own Son to the cross and poured out an eternity of wrath, furious wrath upon Him while Christ was on the cross. 
God did not hate sin that much. But also, at the very same time, we see His love. This passage, our Lord Jesus says, is a forerunner of His return. When He will come back for His own, but He will also come back in in judgment and justice to punish those who do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, who have not fled to Him for refuge, who have not crawled uh, or um, walked aboard Him, so to speak, as the ark of their salvation. Listen to the Scripture. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14 says, Here is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ has been offered once to bear the sins of many, and He will appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Do you believe in divine judgment? By which I mean, do you believe that God also acts as a judge? Many people do not seem to believe that. Uh, They like to think of God as a father, a helper, a friend. But the Bible says that God is a just God. But He's also a loving God. And He, in His great justice, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross. Here's this passage um, in Genesis 7 where God said that once they were all on the, the ark, He shut the door. No one else got on that ark. Our Lord Jesus says that on the day that God shut them in the ark, that everybody else in the world was eating and drinking, carrying on as they had before the year before, the decade before, the scores of decades before. And He says, so it will be on the day of the Son of Man. We don't know when our Lord Jesus is going to come. We know He's going to come back. We don't know in the day in which we die, but we know we will die. And as Hebrews 9 tells us, we will all stand before the judgment. Have you fled to Jesus Christ? Nothing will be more tragic for you to be standing there on the day of judgment. Hopeless. Hopeless. Without a Savior without the righteousness you need to be able to stand 
before God. Flee to Him now. He says, all who come to Me will be saved. Don't delay. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Almighty God, first of all, as a believer in Jesus, it is my heart's desire. Come quickly. Come for your own. Receive us to yourself. As the ancient church cried, so we continue to cry, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. Lord, for those who have not fled to Jesus, I pray that they would not be able to close their eyes um, in sleep today without um, fleeing to Him. In fact, I pray they would not be able to, um, to, to leave this place without fleeing to Jesus Christ. He is the ark of our salvation. He will bring us through the flood of Your furious wrath just as surely as uh, You brought uh, Noah and his family safely through on the ark. God, I pray for Your Spirit to be at work in us now. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.